Welcome to the Thoughtful Gamer Podcast, episode 13. Here with me today, my regular podcasting partners, we have Orion. Hey, how's it going? And we have Matt. Hello. And today we're going to be talking about cooperative games, uh, which is a kind of a broad topic, but I think we'll, we'll be able to dive deep into some interesting things that, that have to do with cooperative games. I've actually been reading a book uh, recently called Characteristics of Games. It's probably the most academic text on board games. And I read a little bit of their discussion of different types of uh, games, and it came in a little bit about cooperative games, which is what uh, we'll be going to here. I'll be pulling some of the ideas from that book. Let's start with what are... Let me put it... I, I didn't put this in the notes, but let me bring the question to you guys. What game have you played that you think embraces the idea of the cooperative spirit or co-op games the best? So so you're not saying what's your favorite co-op game? Not necessarily. It could be. Yeah. But when you think of like yeah. cooperative games... I mean, my mind jumps to Space Alert as the first one. Yeah. Because you're thrown into the situation... There's stuff flying at you fast and furious. You can't keep track of it it all. And you're trying to work together to survive this situation. Yeah. um, Honestly, I think I I was leaning Robinson Crusoe. Okay, interesting. I I think think as we we talk about co-op games, these two games will come up a lot. Because I think... These are two of our favorites, if not our top two. Um, Right. And I think I probably, like, I enjoy Space Alert a bit more, but just, like, capturing the co-op experience, there's something about being on an island, and I think all of the mechanics of Robinson Crusoe capture the the experience of being on an island, surviving together, in a way that I think kind of, like, is, like, the essence of cooperation. (laughs) See, I, I would kind of disagree on Robinson Crusoe. I think it's a brilliant game. I don't think it captures working together, cooperating together very well. I agree with Orion that Space Alert, for a number of reasons we'll describe later, is, is I think, the best at that. Yeah, and maybe maybe I'll... I, I think there there will be interesting points on Robinson Crusoe. Maybe I'll get to defend my, my pick there. Yeah. I will say this. Part of my answer comes from theme. You know, I, I really do mean that I think that the game design of Robinson Crusoe feels like you're stuck on an island together, which is like the perfect cooperation scenario. Sure. Um, um, it, but, but we'll, yeah, I'll talk more uh, about why I like the mechanics. As an honorable mention, I'll throw out Forbidden Desert, which I think in terms of cooperation yeah. does it a bit better than Robinson Crusoe. Really? Although Robinson Crusoe might be the better game. Hmm. Um, that That's interesting. That you, that you would say that. I think, but but for, I think Space Alert does it best. And I will explain why sure. I think later that it it really forces you to work together and work, work well together. Speaking of that sort of game, another co-op game that we... Uh, well, I, I suppose it fits in the co-op game. Uh, we've only played it once, but this was Space Cadet's Dice Duel, which was oh, yeah. another just craziness... You can't keep track of everything. You're doing. You're rolling dice as fast as you can, and you're telling your partner, or your other teammates, "I've got this. What do you need now?" And roll more dice frantically and hope you 
you know, hope you win. <laughs> yeah, and that brings up an interesting question, actually, of because that's a team versus team game. Is that that's kind of? I guess it's a cooperative game. In, in I think in a it, sense, it, to be honest, in a broad definition. To be honest, I think it's harder to say precisely what you mean when you say co-op game. Because that's a lot, true. A lot of a lot of the games blur the lines in different ways, in interesting ways. <laughs> Sure. You know, I mean, I think I'm going to get ahead of myself and 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 sure. what you have planned if I say much. So, well, we'll talk about team versus team games later. But that's an interesting category. Let's let's talk. I'm about interested that later. to see why you think that Space Alert captures cooperation. Because, like in my mind, you could break Space Alert down to the only thing that makes Space Alert a cooperative game is that. You have different agents. I mean, there's no reason. That well, if, if we step back and think about cooperation, it it's multiple parties working together for a common goal or yeah. purpose, right? So all of these games we've mentioned, Forbidden Desert, uh, Robinson Crusoe, Space Alert, you're all working together to try to beat the game. Is the definition sense. of co-op game that we're going with is it's a um, you like you win together, you lose together? That's how I would sort of define co-op. I mean, we, I, we, I we'll, think... we'll talk about semi-co-op later, but yeah. that's how I think of co-op, and then I think there's variations on that. Yeah, I think that would be... Yeah, if you're going to define out pure co-ops, that'd probably be close to the ideal definition. A game like Churchill... Well, no, a Churchill specifically does decide a winner and a loser, so... Churchill's a weird one. Maybe we'll talk about that later, but it's a competitive game kind of disguised as a co-op. It's not weird. Yeah, we can. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) It's a competitive game that forces cooperation. Right. It's like a game theory thing. Like Archipelago could be sort of co-op in the sense that you have to work together to solve certain problems, but it is not a cooperative game. It is very much competitive against the other players. Yeah. But, But for now, let's talk about kind of pure cooperative games. And so this is something that I pulled out of the Characteristics of Games book, which is something that I kind of knew before, but hadn't heard it articulated. And so I didn't I didn't quite think of it this way. But that the fact that co-op games are almost necessarily just solo games that allow more people. Because yeah. they're in in the traditional like say pandemic we'll we'll name as the kind of prototypical modern cooperative game you could play that just using all the the you know just playing all four pawns or whatever and it would basically be the same game yeah um it's designed where it's a game where you're working against the mechanisms of the game, usually some kind of randomizing element of the game. To illustrate this, think about just the game Solitaire, right? The card game Solitaire. You could probably fairly easily come up with rules for multiple players to play Solitaire together, where they're, where they're alternating turns. There, there are, are, are rules where you yeah. like play and you're playing into the center and whoever finishes their deck first or something like that wins. Right. I guess what I'm getting at is that there's not much of, there's not really any distinction between a solitaire game and a cooperative game generally, 
except that one just has rules for multiple players. Yeah, that's fair. So the, I mean, so pandemic is the the a, a good starting place for for this conversation. The only thing that pandemic does is it gives each player a hand of cards, but you don't even have to be secretive about that. Correct. So it's it's just a matter of times when you need to shuffle a particular card from one hand to another. There's no reason that you couldn't play that out as a, a solo right. player. Yeah. So and I there are really... people in in I've actually seen pandemic or similar co-op games ranked fairly highly, moderately highly on lists of like best solo games because you just play by yourself with multiple people. I was doing that to test out Outpost Siberia uh, for my review because everyone stopped wanting to play with me. <laughs> Big surprise there if you've read the review. And so I just played it by myself with just all six characters to try to beat it, which I never did. <laughs> So I think what we're going to get to here is that one of the critical differences between a co-op game that is a solitaire game X4X or something, Mm -hmm. so where you have four people playing solitaire instead of one, is hidden information and agency for the other players, right? Where the other players make decisions based on information that you as that player, as your player, can't know. Yes, that's basically what it comes down to. And we'll get to that in a second, but another thing that came to my mind is that really, like, gambling games, except for, like, poker, where you're playing against other people at the table, gambling games are basically along the same lines, right? Like, blackjack, the house rules for blackjack are look very familiar to the to the rules for like manipulating the deck in pandemic like there are rules for what you do in what situations and you're just playing against those rules in blackjack there's a dealer to accommodate that in pandemic you just do it yourself but you can very easily play blackjack without you know but with simulating the dealer which i thought was weird it's kind of these gambling games um follow along those same lines. You know, something like roulette would be kind of a distillation of it where you just have one randomizing factor and then you just see if you win or not. But as I talked about in my Outpost Siberia review, a lot of cooperative games, if they're not careful, fall kind of into that trap of what I call a you-lose deck where you're just drawing from a deck of cards and then hoping you don't see the card that says you lose. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, which... Which is kind of what the gambling games yeah, are. Yeah, right. You can totally see that in, in Blackjack. Yeah, and then Pandemic. And so... Pandemic, we, like, yeah. frequently you get to that end and we're like, like okay, guys. Well, and that's, yeah, that's how a, the end of Pandemic happens. There is a two out of five chance that we lose. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I think it's fascinating to think of it in lines of you take these very, very simple, solitaire-ish games... Or gambling games and then you just add more complexity and more layers on it and now it's just a modern cooperative game not saying that to dismiss cooperative games because i love them but i think they they necessarily work on a very fine line of whether or not they're successful because they can be reduced so easily and i think if you step back and look at purely the structure of a co-op game that can be true 
but a lot of the appeal is the experience of doing something together as a group and Robinson Crusoe, the theme of yeah. being stuck on an island together and collectively trying to figure out the best set of actions to do, even though you could play it out by yourself just yeah. the same, it's so much more satisfying to do that as a group of people. And, and it's almost pointless to compare Robinson Crusoe and Space Alert, but I think why I gravitate towards Robinson Crusoe as um, the essence of cooperation has a lot to do with the theme. Um, it has a lot to do with kind of style. Maybe maybe it's a trap to talk about style, but so Robinson Crusoe, well, you can definitely play out solo, and I think it's a. I it, I've never done it, but am, am I wrong to say that people enjoy playing Robinson Crusoe? Solo? I would enjoy playing it solo. Yeah, yeah. I, I none of us ever have, but though it's a game that that can be played out with kind of a single decision agent there's there's something about the the style of it the game there's enough going on and the theme pulls you into this feeling of we're in this together that you end up sharing the decisions kind of accommodating each other in a way um that is uh what i what i think of as the essence of cooperation sure even though and I think the other important thing is that the randomization in that game prevents you from just doing the calculation where one person can say, uh, "This oh, is the wait, best move." Or yeah, something. this is fun. We're right. pretending to be on an island, but here are the numbers. <laughs> um, we don't really run into that situation. Let me let me present to you guys a a question. Do you think that cooperative games get a bit of a pass when you're looking at them mechanically because cooperation is just an, an inherently fun thing. In other words, do we do we almost naturally, because we enjoy cooperation, discount kind of the pure raw mechanisms of the game when we're looking at cooperation games or cooperative games? I don't... I wouldn't say that. I think that... Making a game cooperative fundamentally changes how the mechanics matter. Right, but but, but it changes but, them in such a way that the game is, is, I think, necessarily just a puzzle, right? Because there there are no... No, that, well, that's not well, true because, because of the, randomization. Like, well, no, like but, you don't know what's what's coming. Sure, but... But isn't there something just inherently more interesting about a game where the uncertain elements are decided by another person rather than decided by pure shuffling or dice rolling? In other words, isn't that isn't there a kind of inherent it's, weakness it's, in cooperative games? No, because it's it's a shift to we're deciding. I don't know. I'm I'm not sure. I uh, quite agree because I think the shift is to. We're deciding how to prepare for the unknown. Mm -hmm. And in a solo game, that's not very exciting. In a competitive game, that feels like bad game design. But but I think it... I wouldn't say that we're giving it a pass. I was saying... I, I would say that we're, we're changing what the goal of the mechanics are, right? Yeah, here's my hypothesis, and I, I'm just, I'm throwing it out there. I don't know if I think it's true. 
my hypothesis is that because cooperative games just have to be this puzzle, and it can be a puzzle with random elements, they're almost necessarily not quite as compelling as a given game of equal craftsmanship or whatever that's competitive because it's more interesting at least to me it, it, it can be more interesting to have uncertain elements be decided by another person or by politics or something but that's counterbalanced by the fact that in some there's just an inherent fun factor in right cooperating and working together yeah i think you would have to define like the better game design to be a more interesting problem. Yeah, absolutely. If if you define better game design to be more interesting problem, then yes, I think that cooperative games are going to feel cheaper. Right, because but, there's, there's but almost... I'm not sure that that's a good definition because you know in a euro game you're looking for that that problem to solve. You know, there are uncertain features, but you know that everyone's just trying to interact in this whatever market system or whatever the Eurogame presents. Sure. So even the uncontrolled elements, you can try to understand what other people are doing. That's going to be a more interesting sort of a puzzle, I think, or problem, whatever you want to call it. That's going to be a more interesting problem than something that a co-op game presents you with. Yes. But... That doesn't... I, I wouldn't equate that to better game design. It's trying to do something... No, I, I'm not saying it's better or worse game design. Okay. I'm saying I think there's an inherent limitation on cooperative games, or but, a challenge, okay, I okay. guess you could say, in that yeah. if you think hard enough, they can be reduced to just raw numbers without any other elements so or that, odds. You're saying that if, for if you games? If you try hard enough with co-op games, you just reduce it to, to numbers and odds. And the challenge of yeah, the person designing... The it, challenge of yeah, the person designing it, a co-op game is to help your suspension of disbelief away from that. I think that's true, yeah. How different, though, is that from something like Castles of Burgundy? Oh, it's not. Castles of Burgundy is close to, you know, the multiplayer solitaire thing. But, I mean, the opposite wouldn't be a Euro game. It'd be, like, Go. Right. right. So, obviously, a, a war game is yeah. very explicitly, you are going up against this other player or this other number of players in this under this set of rules, and you're trying to come out on top according to some method of calculating victory, whether that's, you know, victory points or uh, taking objectives or moving your armies or something. And... Most of the co-op games I'm thinking of are, or that we've talked about, are generally survival-based of you win or you lose, and then maybe you calculate points to see how well you did or something, um, as opposed to Castles of Burgundy being you don't interact with each other, you just try to accumulate the most points, and you kind of compete over resources. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's a continuum, right? And then there's co-ops, like pure co-ops on one end. Yeah, like solitaire, right? And then you have like the really dry Euro games close to that, and then you get more, more interactive Euro games, and then to war games, and then to abstract probably at the other end of the continuum. To um, 
to open up the discussion with other examples, um, let's talk about a game that we inexplicably really enjoy and have played a lot, but I think we all agree it's awful. <laughs> Betrayal at House on the Hill. So semi-co-op, but mostly co-op. So I think this it's game... semi-co-op without <laughs> the most engaging part of semi-co-ops, which is trying to guess who the traitor is. <laughs> right. Because right. you just like roll a die and oh you're the traitor now. Okay. <laughs> it's just it's just everyone out for a nice stroll through a house until all of a sudden it's everyone against one player. <laughs> yeah. But okay, so so here's what I think about betrayal. We end up having a, a really fun time playing it. Because we're able to kind of ignore how uninteresting the problems the game presents sure. are. Just because kind of the setting and just the experiences. Because it's fun to just trounce around this house together and right. be and, goofy. And, and read and these pre- weird scenarios. Play to the ridiculous characters that have no backstory whatsoever, but we, you know, we run with it. Right. Do you think there's something that co-op games that's unique in that sense? That because we're like all working together, it can get away with sloppiness, like like betrayal does. Sometimes. I think it can. So I, I mean, I think it, I think it can. Yeah, yeah, and that's why I wanted to bring up a game like BWH. It's something that we would never think of playing if it were just a regular game, where it would like a regular competitive competitive game. game. Yeah, yeah, a competitive game with rules that sloppy. And that unfocus yeah. would just be unbearable, I think. Yeah, I mean, just from the rule book alone, we would be like... We would play it once and be like, Because eh, it's not no. clear what the rules are. Yeah. Well, and that goes back... I mean, what sparked this entire line of discussion is that when I was preparing for this podcast, I was trying to... I was going to write down, like, okay, what are the benefits, what are the unique benefits that co-ops have? And I wrote... Okay, it removes the conflict and violence between players for people who don't like that, which really isn't a benefit for me because I like games with conflict also. Um, the second thing I, I thought of was that it can help accommodate different, less experienced players or younger players, you mm-hmm. know, because you can kind of help them along. Yeah. You don't have any incentives to not help them. And then the third thing I wrote is just the working together is fun. And that's all I could think of. <laughs> I think that. But I think that's really the heart of it. Like I think that, that is the heart of it. Co-ops can kind of get away with a bit more because working together is fun. Something feels wrong to me that, that you keep going back to the idea that it, they can get away with more. We just more. agreed with the example no. of betrayal. Okay. Like it so gets away can. with more. They can, but they don't need to. So I guess, yeah. No. I mean, if... I'm saying they can. Yeah, okay. That's fair. Um... But you could also have a super sloppy Euro game or war game that just has bad rules. We just don't play those. Sure, but I'm saying a, a game as sloppy and imprecise and crazy as Betrayal, if it were a competitive game, would be more unbearable than Betrayal. So you're saying um, yeah, that's a, a, a co-op game such as BWH with sloppy rules and mechanics is still fun in spite of that, whereas a competitive game with the same sort it's of... Certain- yeah. rules would not Maybe be that's this is the floor i think that's true and i think it's just because you can accept a lot more or i think it's because it's not as frustrating to be screwed over by the game if it's only or it's not as frustrating if you're screwing over everyone equally 
Yeah. If, or if everyone randomly. <laughs> yeah, or everyone randomly. Whereas, you know, if... Like, like we experienced with 1960. Like, in a competitive game, if, like, a crazy feat of luck happens mm-hmm. and it just completely devastates you, that's awful. If something like that happened and we were playing, like, Robinson Crusoe, we'd be like, wow... Want to do the want to re- start over again? Yeah. Instead, it was really annoying. I think we had that experience with the Cannibal Island. Yeah. Last time we played Robinson Crusoe, we just got hosed. Yeah, and it was. It, it, but it wasn't as frustrating. We could look back at it together, and we're like, "What a crazy experience!" Almost as if we had had that crazy experience on an island together. Even we got yeah. we we got demolished. It's it's more positive than Orion's experience looking back as like, well... Well, and even my experience is of witnessing this happening. Like, it's like, sorry. It was out of my control, but I could tell, like, it was... You know, it's like when we're playing, you know, every once in a while on a Netrunner, you steal, like, you know, three agendas right off the top of the deck at random in a row, and it's like, oh, sorry. I I shouldn't have six points on three accesses. Yeah. It just happens every once in a while, right? It's um, just that that variance of sometimes it you get a uh, you get an edge case and yeah. you know yeah, and that is In a lot. It's not lo- as bad because it's a thirty minute game instead of a two and a half hour game, right? But I think in cooperative games, it's not as it's not nearly as bad compared to competitive games. It's it's almost a weird, I don't, I wouldn't say quirk, but it's it's a facet of psychology in in that you know we're like we're we're cooperative animals in some sense in that we really enjoy or we have this sense of empathy i think that kind of distributes pain i'm making up psychology right here i apologize (laughs) but it's almost like like pain is distributed when you when you experience it to get together right yeah i don't and that's kind of the and it's unifying i mean yeah, some of my there, best friends in college were psychology. the people I stayed up to three o'clock in the morning doing ridiculous homework with. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's something about you know us as social creatures in that we can deal with bad luck or bad things better when when it happens to everyone or when we're when we're I guess in in the game sense when we're on the same side even within the constructs of the game. Like, yeah, like I think it. it I think that is that is accurate and true. I think it kind of also goes the other way in that you tend to play games with people who are your friends, especially and when you're playing a co-op game with your friends, you're wanting to work together more so than if you were strangers. I'm not sure that that that, that is true, but have you played a co-op game with someone you don't really know? It's uh, a, I'm not sure. <laughs> it's a really good way of suddenly having a, a, a sense of unity it yeah. gives you kind of a common experience or something yeah i mean yeah. what better thing than you know trying to just right if you were if you were actually thrown there. onto a desert island with some yeah. complete stranger yeah. you would at least have that in common even if you hated them we're, afterwards we're working together to trap dracula right you know in a, in a crazy battle yeah. like that unifies for yeah. some reason. Yeah, that's what, and this isn't something I had in the notes, but it's co-ops kind of grab a particular part of human psychology that other games don't. Yeah. And so I guess yeah. that's kind of the, the, the generalized benefit of co-ops or the, or the 
the unique positives that that, that genre of so games bring. Is there a reason to play games to do that? I mean, like... Well, no, there, I mean, there, you get the same things. I mean, it's the same kind of experiences. Well, let me put it this way. Like, you know, there's some... Sometimes, and you get this a lot if you're playing competitive sports together. Um, I got it when I was a, a waiter at a at a sometimes kind of fast-paced restaurant where you you have to rely on people and trust people and cooperate and work together and it's kind of exhilarating right there's that that bond that you have you know in the extreme case of like soldiers right right it's, it's that that shared experience that. tends to create bonds between people right it, it helps yeah. it helps create empathy because you know like the idea of empathy is that you understand on a deep level or you feel what they feel obviously that's easier if you are if you're in the same physical context yeah. um, and experiencing the same things. You know, there, there are a few things where I've gotten that real deep feeling of, like, camaraderie. And it's like playing certain sports when I was a kid, working at the restaurant, uh, being in theater in high school. You have the same thing in theater. Yeah. yeah. And playing Space Alert. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's... I mean, to a lesser degree with Space Alert, because obviously the stakes are lower. And it lasts 30 minutes lasts, instead of yeah, years of your childhood or something. 15 minutes, really, of that part of the game. Yeah. Yeah, there, yeah there's I don't something... know. I think, I think there's something to it. I think that, you know, in the same way that I love the experience of a competitive game, like, uh, you know, a more straight Euro game, and you know, feeling like I'm, I'm figuring out both a system and understanding what other people are doing in order to get an edge. And, you know, there are other ways to do that. You know, you can invest time in the stock market or, or whatever. Um, in, in the same way that I think that board games do that well, I think that there's a place for... You know, this is something that we can do 30 minutes together to be put in that situation where we're going to empathize to figure out a, a system together beat something together or get destroyed by something together. Right, right. I think that the third point on your original list, co- cooperation is fun, working together is fun. Yeah, yeah. I think expounding on that is really yeah. the whole gist of why co-op is worthwhile. Yeah. What if, yeah. Well, and I think I can also add to a lesser degree, you know, stepping away from that, like solving puzzles is fun too, right? Like the cooperative, a lot of these co-op games would be fun solo. I think they're more fun, you know, with multiple, with more players, but they're still fairly interesting puzzles. And in some cases, extremely interesting puzzles, like with Mage Knight, which some would argue is better solo, but I think it's... Having never too. played Mage Knight solo, I would argue Mage Knight is better solo. <laughs> um, would you say it's fine? <laughs> oh, no. Callback. Callbacks for our, uh, our dedicated listeners. Right. <laughs> Let's shift over now to problems or challenges with cooperative games. And I, and I identified two, and I think it really, these two really encompass. The I mean, the, these are the big ones. <laughs> these are the big ones. The first one's obviously quarterbacking, right? And it's because. Yeah. It, it, for, the, for the same are, reason that co op games are good, it opens itself up to the possibility of one player just taking over and saying, you do this, you do this, you do this. Yeah. And it destroys the camaraderie because you're not doing it together. It's just this one person telling you what to do. Right. 
And, and, it, and it comes from the fact that co-op games are based, they're, they're solo games. Yeah, I, I don't know about you guys, but like thinking about the benefits of co-op games, I totally started thinking about like the team of people that I work with. And in the same way, the problems that you run into in a working environment of like someone just telling everyone what to do or, you know, just ignoring, you know, so, uh, other people or whatever. Those are the problems in co-op games. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think we've gotten really lucky in our, you know, us being the core game group because we're roughly, we, we all have roughly the same, like, board game intelligence. So quarterbacking has never really been a problem with us, I think. Yeah, yeah I think that's true. We also make a point to actually listen to what other people say and stuff. Yeah, so. and we'll get into you know we'll change each other's minds. I think we also I think we also recognize that like of the three of us, we're sufficiently different. Yeah, that being somewhat equal in board game intelligence and different in the it way works we, in the way we well think and stuff. Yeah, 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 exactly. But, right. If you go back to your kind of work team example, that's why they say diversity makes a better you know, work group or whatever, because you get these different perspectives and different ideas that you wouldn't get otherwise. Yeah. And so, you know, kind of in the same way in a board game, Mark and I often think similarly, but we're going to approach certain situations from, you know, different sides of the table, so to speak, and he's going to see things that I'll miss and vice versa. Yeah. I think, but of course, you know, again, echoing the work cooperation thing, right? You, in order for diversity to increase, to, to help the group, the group also has to be reasonably humble. <laughs> in because you, know, you have to be diverse... willing to accept the diversity and the differences of that person is different and that doesn't make them bad. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. make them wrong. You, you have to or accept, wrong. Yeah, you have yeah. to, fundamentally, you have to accept the possibility that you could be wrong at any moment. Yeah, let me... Let me uh... Or even that you're not completely right or you don't have the whole exactly. picture yeah, yeah let me return to robinson caruso like in robinson caruso i feel like it's hard to it's hard enough to approach it as a singular puzzle that it becomes easier to just kind of share the decision the mental space the mental yeah. space yeah and when someone says okay i think this round it's important to explore i'm gonna go exploring rarely do i just say like oh no that's much less important than building this technology you shouldn't do that you know that kind of like yeah, yeah. that kind of like direct conflict quarterbacking um usually it's reasonable to do a lot of different things mm-hmm. and so that that allows you each agent to just kind of almost have like a character yeah within the decision making process yeah, well, in Robin in, in Robinson Crusoe's case specifically, the, the each of the char- there are characters and they each have slightly different skills. Yeah, it yeah. helps a bit. I wish they were a bit more distinct, but yes. it does help. Um, but in terms of quarterbacking, like there there are certainly notable co op games that don't try to avoid the the issue. Pandemic yeah. being one, Forbidden yeah. Desert, Forbidden Desert, yeah. I feel like I've experienced it more so in Forbidden Desert. Quarterback? Which is interesting. Yeah. I think we've just played it more. I think pande- it's much more susceptible in Pandemic. Maybe it's because I've played 
Have you played Forbidden Desert with other groups with of people? With other groups or? more than I have Pandemic. Okay. Yeah. I, I think that's the only reason. I think... We'll, we'll talk about this a bit, but... So there's that part of of quarter of, of dealing with quarterbacking, which is to say not doing anything about it. I think next in kind of effectiveness is the games that just arbitrarily say you can't show every you can't show others your hand, which sometimes works all right. I think it works all right in well, it works great in Battlestar Galactica, but right. partially because that's a semi co op. It does not work well, I think, in Shadows Over Camelot, where you can't show each other your hand, and also you can't say exactly, so you end up in bed. I think every stupid. group I've ever played Shadows Over Camelot has a very precise uh, innuendo for saying exactly yeah. what they have in their hand. <laughs> well, it, and, and it's because it's so easy to invent these kinds of language rules when the whole game is just cards numbered one through five, basically. Yeah. It's like... I desperately need a middling sword. <laughs> like, oh, a three, okay. Like, yeah, I it doesn't it's work. It's been so long since well. I played Shadows. You need like I keep vetoing it. <laughs> oh, I know. I don't have a strong desire to play it either. Um, it, you actually need particular numbers, right? In yeah, general. in many so, cases. So, Battlestar Galactica of ameliorates the problem just a little bit by. Not requiring specific numbers, you're only looking for a sum. Yeah. So, so it doesn't encourage you to come up with that lingo of correct. Um, you know, so so we have these things of like I'm helping a lot, or yeah, yeah, we say vaguely, but, but, but it's still vague enough. Yeah, in my experience, and we haven't allowed ourselves to codify anything either. Right, we've intentionally avoided that. I think, and there's the traitor element and the destiny deck, which add that sense of unknown so you can't be like well he played a three and he played a four and i'll play a five so we win yeah <laughs> yeah the game does a reasonable job of aligning incentives well but it still has to have a rule of like you can't tell someone exactly what you have is that actually a game rule or do we just it is a game it rule. is okay you can't show or say exactly what card you have okay in hand a little bit more strict and kind of like forcing cooperation through limiting knowledge or limiting the spread of knowledge is uh, Hanabi, which is almost a unique case where it's a card yeah. game where you see everyone else. You, you splay your cards out in front of you facing outwards. So you know everyone else's cards. You don't know your own cards. And there are very strict rules in how you distribute knowledge. And that's the point. That's the puzzle is yeah. how to efficiently distribute knowledge Yeah, on a very like razor's edge. Um which, which, of course, though, can fall to the same problems as Shadows Over Camelot, where you end up intentionally or not, like, codifying certain rules. Yes, yeah, I have... Which kind of just ruins Hanabi after... Like, Hanabi's one of those games that's so good the first time you play, and then relatively so bad, like, the fifth time you play, because of that. True. I think that's true, yeah. I wouldn't go quite to that extreme, but I'm not I it's do. A bad game. I'm saying it's like I certainly see how it can go play. that way. It feels more like a puzzle. Like the first couple times I played it, I was like, "Whoa, this is like, you know, yeah, th- this is gonna, be, this is awesome." Where once we you once you get a hang of the game, game, you can start figuring out what's the most efficient clue to give, and yeah. then it becomes more of a. But it feels does more everyone like else understand this? Yeah, and yeah. then. 
yeah, I think the fifth time, like you said. Well, I think you have to consciously very much try not to create rules that the game doesn't give yeah. you for like... For, right. For you, I think things. you mentioned you played online and you didn't follow their unspoken list of the oh, order in which up. you have to give clues or you're supposed to give clues and they like they threw you out or something. They got yeah. really mad. Yeah. And then I found later a document where people have documented how to beat Hanabi. And but they, that that just defeats just the purpose. It into a solution. Yeah. But you can do something kind of halfway and it, and it hurts the game, I think. I think that, like the first time I played Hanabi, it was like mind blown. Now I think it's it's a decent game. Sure. I think because it has those problems. I think the ultimate mitigation of quarterbacking, and this is why I agree with Orion that it's the best, like the it gives the best sense of cooperation and teamwork is Spaceflight? when you just make it physically impossible to quarterback in that space. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, right. Because it puts the time pressure on you. Because it puts the time pressure on you. It's just too much information and too little time for one person to effectively quarterback. Let me... I mean, maybe in a situation where you're... It's like, you know, I was playing with, like, two brand new players and we were on some easy difficulty. I could probably do that solo on quarterback. Well, we do a a little bit. We generally designate one person as the captain and they'll say, Hey, can you help me with this threat? But it is totally fact that we have d- to do division that. of it's division of labor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and and that's what does it for me is that not only with Space Alert are we, you know, working together and con- communicating very efficiently and effectively, or at least trying to <laughs> within the game, we've like had to come up with strategies, broad level strategies, and a division of labor to help us to approach the problem. Yeah, to approach the problem, but it it will never create an issue like with Hanabi where it's like, okay, we broke the game. So I think if I could only ever play one cooperative game again, Space Alert would probably be the game I'd choose. I would probably choose it too. But I I almost feel like it's some kind of cop-out to be forced to rely on each other. That's really not true, but it's some kind of cop out. It's not rather rather by the rules, rather than a game that presents you with a scenario that it feels right to cooperate. I guess is what I'm saying. Oh come on! This is very. I mean, it, yeah, and, and this is the intangibles thing. But <laughs> this is where we have to agree to disagree because I don't see how being stuck on a spaceship with aliens invading you, shooting at you, is any different in terms of, like, oh, we need to work together than being stuck no. on a desert island. It's the same kind of thing. Yeah, I wouldn't agree with you there. I I, mean, I think Space Alert's theme is fun. I don't think that it's... I don't think it connects at any kind of... Is it just because it's level. a sci-fi kind of absurdity thing of it's you're silly. in this ridiculously it's equipped ship somewhere in space and you're attacked by aliens no, space of various... Alert is silly and hilarious. Yeah. It's yeah. not... It's not trying to make you feel like you're, you're in a situation. Or uh, any kind of, like, real-ish situation. I think that so Robinson Crusoe is more real-ish. I think it's easier to get into the mindset of like we're stuck on a desert island. You know, I feel Lord of the Flies every time I play Robinson well, Crusoe. The Lord well, of the Flies yeah, no, no, wouldn't no. be cooperative. No, yeah, <laughs> that was the wrong. So it's Family Robinson, is what I mean. Yes. 
Sure. Yeah. I think that both the, like, just you cannot do it by yourself. You have to cooperate. And the, we created a scenario where cooperation is what we want to do. I think those are both valid ways of, of doing a cooperative game. So one kind of inspires you to cooperation by the setting and emotions that it evokes, and the other one... Uh, I don't want to short the how good the mechanics of a game like Robinson Crusoe are. I think they're great, too. So, like I, I well, think it's a fantastic game. Yeah, I, I do, too. And I think it's specifically... But a lot the of mechanical the, parts of Robinson Crusoe the, that help cooperation rather than the theme. But the mechanical aspects play into the theme of being on an island where you're affected by your choices so well that it makes it easier to play like you're actually on an island together. Yeah, perhaps. And, and yes, there is a leap to where you actually decide that you're going to play as if you are cooperating. But I think Robinson Crusoe makes that leap in incredibly easy to where you're not just playing it like a puzzle. So I think there's something yeah, that, to be said. That's not my experience at all, though. Robinson really? Crusoe feels more like a multiplayer solo game than I think any other co-op game. Huh, that's, that's bizarre. Because unlike, well, maybe Forbidden For, Desert. Forbidden Desert. Too. <laughs> Pandemic, you ostensibly have your own hand of cards even though you always play with them revealed i always feel like but there's like nothing you hold on to really with robinson crusoe or um yeah pandemic it's always just kind of like trying to keep the facade of being a cooperative team as much as possible if someone well if someone wants to do something that you don't want them to do it's almost always like wait a minute wait a minute you're making the less efficient choice. You should do the other thing. Oh, yeah. No, I think Robinson Crusoe is way better at avoiding the quarterbacking issue. And the, and the second issue I'll bring up now with that can happen with co-ops is the sense that you could just solve the puzzle. Like, yeah. pandemic, like, after a few plays, you kind of understand the most efficient moves, or at least the narrow range of efficient moves. But the, I think there are two ways to avoid that. And I think the way Robinson Crusoe does is that it mitigates it by just having more randomness. And and kind of a push-your-luck. And a push-your-luck kind of thing. Yeah. And so that's one reason I think Forbidden Desert's a bit better than Pandemic, is that there's a little bit more randomness, so it's less clear. Like we talked about, in Pandemic, once you get to the end of the game, like yeah. you're like, okay, there's a 40% chance we win here. You can't do that as easily in Forbidden Desert, and it's not necessarily going to happen. You can make similar. But there's a bit because you can there's count like the storm and the sun cards, and know like, well, if we draw three of the sun cards before my next turn, we lose or something like that. But it's not to the degree of pandemic where you're like, well, I have to turn over three cards, and I know the card that loses us the game is in the next six. So yeah. What, here we go. Yeah. And, and that's why I think it does it a bit better, even though it still runs into the same things. Same thing with Robinson Crusoe. It's just there's just there are more possibilities. Like there's not just one deck of cards you're going through. Cards you're going through. There's a deck of cards, but you've chosen like twelve out of fifty to play with that game. So there's and a you put lot another dozen unknown. random ones in throughout the game. Yeah, throughout the game, and so there's a lot more unknown with Robinson Crusoe, which 
and it's you know there's more to it it's more complicated so it's it's simultaneously just more difficult from a volume wise to calculate and there's just more unknown generally and that's those two things i think make cooperation or or eliminate this puzzle solving or quarterbacking issue better in robinson crusoe than in something like pandemic and to me that's what makes robinson crusoe fun to work together is because everyone can contribute good ideas there's going to be a range of good ideas yeah Yeah. and it's hard to it's very hard to pinpoint the best idea and so in that way it forces you to work together to reason through that and i think that exact situation or point is what makes it less of a solitaire game than forbidden desert or pandemic I wouldn't say that because you could have the same dialogue with yourself. You're probably not going to be as efficient at it. But I think it just means it's probably a better design game unless you get really frustrated. Yeah. It depends on your like acceptability threshold for randomness. But it it allows more possibilities to happen and you can't see like you can't see the edge of the map as well, like the metaphorical edge. Okay, so let me rephrase it then. I think there's more value gained in Robinson Crusoe by playing it with a party of four than in playing Forbidden Desert with a party of four. I'd agree with that. Hmm. Yeah. It still feels very solo to me because you're like... It really feels like you just have a pool of pawns and you're just distributing them. Like, there's no reason yeah, that... Totally. Like, there's very... Maybe... Very little of the time there's reason that I specifically need to do this thing. To me, maybe the leap from I can just figure out this puzzle by myself to we're working together, like, the way that the game makes that leap easy, I value that more, whereas I think you are valuing more just the, the value of having different ideas thrown around. Does that sound correct? Probably. Anyway, the other game I I wrote down as an example of just having too much to effectively calculate uh, is Mage Knight, where I think it, it can help. Like, we've found solutions to different hands once we before a few times when we've gotten stuck. You're like, I, I know I should be able to defeat this guy. You're like, oh, you do this and this and this. Because there's just so much to puzzle out and calculate that it does... It helps some cooperation, although not nearly as much as the other games. I don't find that cooperation I think interesting. Mage Knight is more complicated in the sense that it's longer, and you might have more... Uh, do you have more possible actions? I suppose you probably have more possible actions or mm-hmm. paths you can take on your turn, but I think the collective working together of Robinson Crusoe far surpasses any working together in Mage Knight. In Mage Knight, it's more just, I think I'm going to go this direction, and you are going to go this direction, and we kind of think that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. And we have a vague notion of the goal we're trying to get to, and we're just trying to make small choices along the way to get towards that. And again, I love Mage Knight. Okay, all the real enjoyments of Mage Knight, and I think, thinking back, I think you you summarize them as you both have the the micro-puzzle of figuring out it how to play a hand, and the macro kind of experience of just becoming this ultra-powerful mage knight, both of those are made less fun by introducing cooperation. Or or at the very least, 
I completely disagree. Yeah, no, but, like, the joy of figuring out a hand, which, yes, is really cool, if if someone helps you with that, well, then it just... Let me, you feel let like me, you, you missed out on figuring it out. Well, let me re-explain. I'm not saying that Mage Knight is great at cooperation. It's not. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying it's... I'm saying it, it avoids the, like, oh, I've solved the game issue. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because there's just so much of it. You can't. You could certainly get better at it, and there's probably some people who get stupidly good at it, but it's not like Pandemic, where after a few plays, you're like, oh, this is what you do, here, here, etc. So, in the second second problem of, like, you could just solve the puzzle, I think, you know, both Robinson Crusoe and Mage Knight do that just through having so much, so many different random parts, um, where you can make good calculations and good risks... Right. You can't solve it. Yeah, there's a lot of more unknown information in both of those games than Forbidden Desert. <laughs> yeah, and I'm saying I'm I'm saying solve in a very soft sense, not solve like checkers is solved. However, noting that, I think there are some games that just become too that 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 introduce too much of that, and it takes away a lot from player agency. And the example I get I wrote down there is is Eldritch Eldritch Horror and Arkham Horror, where to me, I think they're okay, but it's almost like you just you just like roll dice and like, oh this happens to me and now this happens to me and you, you lose there's so much going on and so much of it is random that yeah, you can't solve the game, but it's because you don't have enough agency to even try. I'd agree with that. That that was always my experience with the um, Arkham games. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's fair. I might like, well, I don't know. Eldritch is a game I enjoy playing with certain people, but I don't necessarily love it the way I love some of these other games. Honestly, like, it's a better version. It's, sorry, it's a heavier and better version of BWH, I think, because, kind of, like, just the enjoyment no I got out of playing Arkham Horror was totally the being in the. I, I, I you you have more specific the, goals in Arkham. Um, yeah. And you like move to. It's being in that horror scenario together. That's fun. Mm -hmm. But there's just too much a sense of random things happen. Yeah. Which I think is the heart of your criticism of. um, uh, Where is it? 2001 uh, Labyrinth, where playing as the Islamists, everything you try to do is a 50 50 roll. And if you fail, you just lose all your troops and you have to start over again (laughs) well my my criticism there is that like a fundamental part of game design is that doing nothing is not fun in a labyrinth you do a lot of doing nothing it's like it's why we don't see games anymore that have a lose your turn mechanism when those were you know those are prevalent in like i don't know in games like sorry does sorry have something like that those kinds of games the like mid 20th century hasbro games where it's like, ah, you lose your turn, or you go to jail in Monopoly. Like, we understand now that that's just poor game design, because it's not fun to do nothing. Labyrinth kind of has that, except it's not a random card draw, it's just if you roll poorly. So, in Eldritch, you can have that sort of situation where you try to do something, and you fail, and you effectively did nothing. But you did, I guess you did try, which, I, I don't know. It's a bit better. My issue with Eldritch is just that it feels like the game's happening to you, and you're not you're not influencing the game enough. 
I but, think there's uh, I think there's a fine line. I see your criticism. I don't think that's a hundred percent accurate, but I definitely see where you say that. Yeah, that's the impression it's given me. I've only played it twice, so I, I certainly want to play it more to see if I can figure out a bit more of why decisions matter. Right, and I think again with all of these games, it's kind of a fixed puzzle with whatever random elements that are included. So as you play it more, you uncover more of the puzzle, you understand what's possible, what's likely to happen, and you make better decisions just by playing it more. And even though the same thing could be said of, say, Twilight Struggle or chess, that it, um, because you're playing against another person who is also learning and reacting to your moves, it, it's, it's just different. Yeah, and something just came to my mind that when we're talking about Elder Torah and Aiden agency and figuring out the puzzle is that it almost has kind of the exact opposite quote knowledge curve of pandemic where you start pandemic and it's engaging you're trying to figure it out and after a while you kind of flatten mm-hmm. you're like okay I know my strategy I know this is effective and then it just comes down to luck you know at the end of the game you know a game like Elder Torah or a game like Mage Knight you start off and it just seems ridiculously impossible or it seems like you don't have an effect maybe or very complex maybe is a better just too too difficult to understand or make make good decisions but then as you learn the game it becomes richer and more and more interesting i'm hoping that's how elder forward will go but it's almost it's almost a completely inverted experience yeah Yeah, we haven't played eldritch enough yeah Um, I i would like to get it out more i mean if that's the case, that's you know maybe more satisfying. Oh, I think yeah. if that's the case, I mean I think it's absolutely the case with Mage Knight. I'm hoping it's the case with with Elder Tor. Yeah, we'll have to play it more. Anything else you guys want to discuss with well, pair I, co-op games? Oh, I had, well I had a random thought. Uh, one thing that a lot of these games have is a difficulty regulation method, and um, I think that's interesting. Like that's something that is only relevant in co-op. Yeah. And it really speaks to the uh, the nature of it being an experience. So, like, we're enjoying being on this island together. Well, Because it... we're using that example. So we enjoy being on this island together trying to survive. That's great. After 10 plays, we're just too good at being on an island surviving. So, you know, we remove Friday or, or the dog or whatever. And just make it harder. So it's the same puzzle, just we've shifted the, the difficulty. Well, it's just one way in which it's simulating an opponent. Yeah, yeah. But, like, that seems completely reasonable because you're trying to get that interesting experience where you're cooperating sure, on you're the edge. Sure, you're trying to... Well, you have to, you have to account... I, there's probably some kind of sweet spot for, like, win percentage in co-op games. Yeah. And that just gives room for players to find that for themselves. Yeah, that's, that's, that's probably true. Although, I, I will point out, it's not something exclusive to cooperative games. You have uh, competitive games where they introduce similar things in, like, tournament modes where you, like, bid for a side. Is that or... because there's a in, an imbalance in the vanilla uh, yeah, starting that positions. Would be why? That'd be why you do it. But it's along the same lines, I guess. So a, a thought I had along this is I've thought a little bit about how you design a game AI and basically program a computer to play a game, 
and then taking the next step of, okay, I told the computer how to play Suburbia, because that's the game I've been thinking about doing it with. How do I adjust the difficulty of the AI? Do I adjust how precise their calculations are or how fast their kind of uh, machine learning algorithm gets to the accurate uh, victory points of different cards or, or uh, tiles? Or do I have it intentionally miss the best play or something like that? Which, I don't know. I just, I've started thinking about this and how do you simul- simulate difficulty basically when you're not against a thinking person you're against either a set of rules or a computer with a set of rules (laughs) yeah i've actually read a couple of things and and saw a couple of of lectures on ai design and i think in some situations in in probably more situations than you would expect for like computer games for the high difficulties, they just cheat. Yeah, they just get extra whatever. You know, if it's an Age of Empires, they just get extra resources or something. Or they're just able to execute commands simultaneously, or they have map knowledge that a human player in that situation wouldn't have. Well, they obviously simulated knowledge, I guess. The computer knows the map. Right, so in Europa, my favorite grand strategy game, there's a hard and very hard difficulty where... I think the hard is it becomes harder to make alliances with people. You just a flat modif- negative modifier to that. And then the very hard, all the AIs get like plus 50% manpower, plus 50% army size, more money, less cost of everything, which just, you know, they just cheat and get extra stuff. But they're also a lot more aggressive in how they attack you and chase you down and stuff. That's a really board game way of doing it too, is just changing the setup because that's how cooperative games basically usually change the difficulty right you add how many you change how many epidemic cards are in the deck or something like that yep. yeah yeah let's let's talk very briefly about partial co-ops because one of our favorite games Battlestar Galactica is a partial uh, cooperative game and I think it's very interesting it's really the same the same kind of game as as a social deduction game you would call like the resistance or secret Hitler where it's kind of, it's really a team versus team game but in in Battlestar Galactica you know it has the twist of you don't you know it's a team versus team game where people don't know who's on which team so i don't know whether but or not that they get as fundamentally a the difference. the other difference is that in the resistance the entire game is figuring out who the other team is and kind of isolating them whereas in Battlestar Galactica, you're trying to do a series of skill checks and pass a series of jumps while kind of holding off the other team. Yeah, I guess it... I don't know if that's a fundamental difference or just an, a difference of scale. I'm not I'm not entirely sure. I Well, I think it's kind of both. <laughs> yeah, it might be. But there were a couple thoughts I had on these kinds of, we'll say, partial cooperative games, is that... There, you know, in the case of Battlestar Galactica, it's still an interesting cooperative game. But it needs to have the traitor element in there for it to, to work as it is. But it's it's core, balanced this, so that yeah, for the win percentage to be about right, there is hidden traitors. Yeah. And I think there's a different, a couple other challenges or problems you have when you're designing this kind of game. Is that first of all, you, you have to give some information for 
who the traitor is, but you can't give too much information. So this is where the, I think you go over to social deduction games, the resistance does it very well, where it gives very tiny snippets of information, but not enough where you're usually, you're almost never able to like deduce who someone is. Battlestar Galactica is the same kind of way where it gives, it gives, unless someone makes a horrible mistake, it gives you enough power to, to manipulate things. If you're the, if you're the Cylon to kind of manipulate the game and maybe expose yourself a bit or raise suspicions, but if you play it decently, they're not going to be able to figure out like with certainty who you are. And I think that's one of the lines that these games have to, have to walk on is some information, but not enough to know for sure you have to keep that sense of unease and uncertainty among the people among the good guys i I suppose you could say which i think is both a mechanic and part of the theme for something like battlestar galactica sure yeah the other key and i think bsg falls on this falls a little bit short on this is that backstabbing as the traitor has to matter it has to matter whether or not you find out who the traitor is BSG, I wish they would ramp up what you could do as a trainer a hair. I think it gets close. I think a lot of that is is just due to the variance of the sleeper phase. And if there's no Cylons in the first phase, it can go so well that they just override anything the Cylons could do in the second half, which is what happened in our most recent play. Yeah, Ryan and I were the Cylons. and You you were a sleeper agent, right? For one, we wish we hadn't destroyed the... Yeah. <laughs> was that your doing? That was my doing. I was a human and I destroyed the resurrection ship, which basically made the, crippled, the, crippled the, the Cylons Cylon. and they just lose a turn when they're revealed, pretty and then much. you yeah. became a Cylon. And then I became a Cylon. I woke up to but my we, true nature. We uh. sleepers, so the humans had done such a baller job of keeping the, the fleet you know, in perfect condition. Yeah. We sure wish that that backstabbing action mattered because it totally didn't yeah Yeah. well that's an interesting thing that battlestar galactica has specifically is that it has a sleeper phase so i've deliberately not done things as a human in the first half of the game just so we wouldn't get too far ahead in case i was a sleeper agent yeah totally (laughs) which is a really weird dynamic i think i have made the decision to play 100 percent but like that's a that's a thought process I went through. Mm-hmm. You know, basically I'm playing the odds. Yeah. But right, then... right. So in this last play, we got to a point where I was pretty sure we were all humans because things were just going too well. Yeah. And so I was going all out for the humans because I was like, well, sixty percent chance I'm still a human, forty percent chance not. And you know, the more I help myself now, the better. Except for that forty percent chance when yeah, you're yeah. a Cylon. Yeah. And then obviously, you know, the resistance is the perfect example of making backstabbing matter because that's literally the entire game. I think on the other side, you have Shadows Over Camelot, which doesn't... I I guess, like, coming out as the traitor or, like, sabotaging as the traitor in Shadows is significant, but it's not interesting. They just kind of speed up the timer of the game a bit. Do they they just start adding catapults or something? They basically get to do, like, two bad phases on their turn instead of one. Oh, okay. And I think I played that game once with you guys, like, three years ago. Yeah, I vaguely remember it, and 
still do not give it credit. credit. I mean, it was an early game. I believe it was the very first partial co-op game. Yeah, yeah. Give now, looking at that, the history of them, I of remember... how we conceived them today, the first one was Reiner Knizia's Lord of the Rings in okay. 2000, I believe, which I've heard hasn't aged that well. And then Shadows was kind of like the next big one, I think, yeah. that had the traitor thing. And then when I was looking at the list, there's just a bunch of them in 2008. You had Pandemic, you had Space Alert, you had BSG, Ghost Stories, I think, came out in 2008. Uh, we got like that. half a dozen really popular, well-known co-op games came out in 2008. For some reason, I don't know. Yeah, but I think those are the two keys to parcel co-ops. And then, I guess, even more briefly, these one-versus-many games, like Imperial Assault, which we have set out on the table right now, or Descent, or... Oh yeah, Fury of Dracula uh, would be one. I I feel And then less... there's Mysterium, which is a co-op game, but it's kind of a one and many where you're working together, yeah. but the one is the the ghost is restricted in the information they can share. They know everything, but they can only share very specific information. I think or I think Mysterium is is a cooperative game. It just has a asymmetrical yeah, player. Yeah. It just that's has like a very game. one very unique player power. The other it's thing not that... a it's not and see that one it's not really that's not really a solving a puzzle well i I suppose in a the broadest sense it is but it's more about interpreting how the other person thinks well that's really interesting Uh, actually now that that i think about it it's solving a puzzle creative it is by nature trying to get on the same page with a limited ability to communicate yeah it's it's creative and it forces you to get in other people's heads well remember when we were talking earlier about kind of a fundamental distinction is that you're playing against the game versus playing against another player mysterium i guess sidesteps that completely because what are you playing against you're playing against misunderstanding (laughs) you're playing against how they interpret surrealist dream art versus how you play interpret surrealist dream art yeah i guess that makes it you're you're playing against the timer unique you're playing, yeah, against, you're playing the timer. against the timer. There's still constructs to the game you're playing against, but that's not unique to co-ops anyway. You're always, As I you're think always constricted this, by the rules. It's actually not that dissimilar from code names. Yeah. Mm. That's it, the, I was going to say the same thing. One, yeah. um, which is a team game, but the experience is largely cool. Well, code names is just Mysterium if you had two copies of Mysteriums yeah. and were racing each other. Exactly. <laughs> Right, and you're doing it with words instead of pictures. Yeah. So. Yeah, but again, you just you have to get on the same page with a very limited way of communicating. Right, and that's so it makes you it the game like forces you to be at odds with this person with well also being on the same team as them at odds in that in in the sense that you can't communicate with each other clearly. Yeah, it's not so much as. You're not going you're against them. You're just overcoming this massive barrier that yeah. the game yeah. puts between you. Well, that's way more fascinating than talking about Descent. I think we'll end on that. That's really interesting. I, I don't know how to classify that. It's more co-op than I think partial co-ops are. It's closer... On it's definitely a co-op game. Definitely, yeah. definitely. I mean, it's... But it doesn't fall into, fall into our definition of solving a puzzle... Or yeah. something. So. Well, it falls into the definition of you you succeed or fail together. 
Well, right. it, it's just, yeah, it falls under that definition, but it, it makes the puzzle of someone's design. So another player's design, yeah. basically, within, you know, certain constraints. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you'd classify that. It's certainly a, a subgenre. Yeah. Well, listeners, if you have an idea, any ideas of how to classify that, let us know in the comments. And please check out the thoughtfulgamer.com where I posted a review recently of a very poor co-op game. And hit me up on Twitter and Facebook. I'm on YouTube and Twitch now, streaming every once in a while. Well, twice a week re- regularly on Monday evenings, Eastern Time. And on Thursday afternoons, and then we'll stream other stuff whenever we feel like it. What else am I thinking? Of? Oh, rate and review on iTunes. Did I forget anything? You guys are we looking have, at me like have, I forgot. We something. have a review number, now, or we have a rating now. Yes, we do. Did you see? Oh, I saw that you tweeted about it. Yeah, five stars. Woo! We have five rate. Five people gave us five stars, and no one has given us anything else. So keep up the good work, people. I approve. <laughs> anyway, I'll talk to you all next time. Goodbye. And remember, we're all in this together. Wow. Wow. Goodbye. Oh, stopping it now.